When I was a younger boy, around 10, my dad was part of a dog club where we would meet at an IHOP on Thursday evenings, and he and his club would have their own boardroom, and my dad and others in this club would discuss dog shows and other things that I grew up were thinking were totally normal. Turns out, not exactly everyone's favorite pastime. And as a 10-year-old, I got bored really quickly at these meetings. So I would go outside and essentially lay down on my father's 1963 Mercury Comet convertible hood while looking up at the stars in the sky and wondering about a lot of stuff. But one thought I had often when doing this was, is there someone watching over us? Like, the universe is so huge and I, we are so tiny in comparison. Is there an architect, a designer? Is there a God? Well, if you've heard my story before, in person or online, you know that I did not become a follower of Jesus until I was 20. So at this point in my life, when I was 10, I was still reeling from my mother's death about two years prior. But I think I wanted to believe perhaps, or at least I wanted to know for certain, if there was a God or not. So as I looked up in the night sky in a Pasadena IHOP parking lot, I remember talking. I believe it was out loud, not to myself, not to my imaginary friend named Ink. Shh, don't tell anyone. But I was talking to what I was guessing was God. I grew up in America, in California, in the 1980s, and so God, as far as I knew, looked a lot like a Caucasian old dude with a beard based on what I had seen primarily on the Simpsons. That won't be the last time I sing in the sermon. But I began to talk to him, or whoever I pictured God as, with the hope that he'd give me a sign, or talk back, or do what I say, or prove himself to me. And I don't know if it, it, it really did feel like this mythical and embarrassing exercise. This was a story that I kept to myself for quite a long time because I didn't even want to try to believe as a, as a kid because I was fearful of either God not existing and disappointing me or by existing and not being what I wanted him to be and disappointing me. That was my first recollection of prayer in my entire life. I wasn't yet a believer. I didn't know who God actually was. I knew nothing about the Bible. And let me be really clear, Jesus Christ was used more as a swear word than the name above all names that eternal life can be found in. Today, we begin a series on dependence, which is what prayer really is. It is us praying to God, not God praying to us, because in prayer, we exercise our need and dependence upon God who put the stars in the sky and controls the earth's gravitational pull by his will. So why do we pray is the topic today. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. But we're going to talk about the why before we talk about the how, before we talk about the what, before we talk about the where because the why, just like everything in Christianity, motivation really matters. Motivation matters because unlike dealing with the general public, God truly is able to see our hearts, and we cannot fake him out, nor should we attempt to. Our genuineness in our relationship with God is a marker of maturity and something that perhaps we don't think about that often because perhaps we're just attempting to keep up appearances for other people. 
But Peter, the apostle, speaking about our faith, points out that trials actually decipher for us if our faith is genuine. We've read this passage many times. We studied this book. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-7, through 7, Peter says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in griefs and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So why do we pray? Do we pray to prove something to God? Not exactly. But the same apostle who says that faith is tested, which then proves genuineness, knows that prayer is not something to put off or ignore. In fact, it is the constant application for those who know and love God, because the one who does can pray, and the one who doesn't avoids prayer at all costs. Case in point, this, uh, we studied about this guy, Simon the Sorcerer, who when we studied back in Acts chapter 8 in our last series, we witnessed the apostle, or he witnessed the apostles praying over people, and some received the Holy Spirit. And so Simon, a false prophet, wanted to have this power. So he attempted to purchase the Holy Spirit from Peter and John, and here's what it says. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given upon the laying of hands, From the apostles, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon, someone who I believe Luke points out as someone who does not have genuine faith, is unable to pray and ask others to do it for him. Not because he wants Jesus, but because he doesn't want the consequences for his actions and his motivations. So my first point of why do we pray, it's pretty profound, I think. We pray because we actually can. If we have entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we actually can pray. We actually can commune with the master of the universe. We can communicate with the creator of all things. You and I can pray. Like, think about that for a moment. We don't have to wait on hold. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't need to say all the right words or Lord God 37 times in two minutes. We can just speak to God right now. And he hears us. We can pray to God. And so why do we pray? Because we can. The psalmist puts it this way. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Psalm 34. James, the half-brother of Jesus, also speaks of righteous, uh, a, righteous, a righteous man's prayer, and he says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, James 5.16, the second half of the verse. 
While it would be easy to focus on this half of a verse, on the idea that when the righteous pray, it is effective and powerful, which it is. See, prayer is powerful, church. Not because you or your prayers are the source of that power, but because of who you are praying to. But I want you to look at a more obvious thing about this phrase. The righteous can pray. Meaning those who have been made righteous, those who have right standing before God, those who have received grace by faith in Christ have a relationship with God and their prayers matter and are heard by God. But that righteousness is not because of us at all. Look at how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him, you and I can be made righteous. So in relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, who has made us holy and righteous, right standing, before God the Father, you can pray. Did you know in other religions, it tends to be stunted or filtered, not through God, but through a priest or a shaman or someone else who assumes that you must be elite in order to come to God, but your relationship with God through Jesus, that means that you are made right. You don't have to go to Father so-and-so. You get to go to Jesus Christ, God with skin, directly. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, through 6, Paul says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So may we pray, because we can. And we can because we are in relationship with God the Son, Jesus Christ. And prayer not only is a symptom of our relationship with Jesus Christ, but it is a stimulant to the intimacy and familiarity with the God we should all be wanting to know better. Paul says, God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ? Our Lord. Paul says we have been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, which is not passive, it's not accidental. And our intentional prayer and communication with God is all the more important for us spiritually. Let me put it this way, church, just to make sure you understand. Let me say it the way the great theologian MC Hammer once said it We need to pray just to make it today. Hey, hey! And by make it, what I take that to mean is that we need to be in communication, communion, and participation with the God that we say we believe in, and we do this through prayer. But it's not passive. It's intentional. As God puts it through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13, he says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When? When you seek me with all of your heart. So we pray as followers of Jesus because we can. Next, prayer is an act of worship. Prayer is devotion. Why do we pray? Because it is devotion to our God. Remember back in Acts when the apostles were seeking wisdom to choose another apostle to replace Judas for obvious reasons? Here's what it says in Acts 1, 13 through 14. And when they had entered this room, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bart, 
Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, different, Judas. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They had a worship service, church, but they didn't sing because they were devoted in prayer to seeking God and his wisdom and his will. In fact, it is part of what the earliest church, earliest of early church did when it came to what they did when they met together. We know this verse. We've talked about this verse so much. Acts 2.42, they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. I don't know if we consider prayer worship. I think we have assumed that worship requires a guitar and lyrics. But prayer is a way that we show our devotion to God. And we must always remember who we are praying to because it is this holy and righteous and perfect God who can hear our prayers. And if he grants our requests or not, it does not change his goodness. When we pray, remember that we are praying to God and he is not praying to us and he is not a genie in a bottle looking to grant us three wishes. In worship, in devotion, we ascribe worth to God by coming before him and praying. It is an act of worship to pray because communion with God always exalts God if done for the right reasons. The worship night last night was great. For those of us who were here, we got to have this amazing experience of having worship leaders singing familiar songs, playing instruments with great talent, making great noises, and it was beautiful. But that time of prayer that each of us can participate in, that's a worship service all the time, anytime, any place, not because any of us pray perfectly or because we summon the Spirit of God in some mythical way. No, it's because prayer is worship. And when I get to hear others pray, I get to hear others communicate with their God, and it is beautiful. Have you ever heard a child pray to God? It is beautiful, and it is innocent. So Paul tells us to devote ourselves to prayer Colossians 4.2, Paul says to the church in Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So not only is prayer devotion and worship, but prayer is obedience to God, which is demonstration of our love for God. I don't know how you hear obedience, but if it sounds like a bad word, I think you are misunderstanding what obedience means, spiritually speaking. Obedience is not a heartless action to appease a distant God. Obedience is love in action for a God who loved us when we were at our worst. In fact, Paul says to the church in Rome 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love has been demonstrated by his sacrifice. And check it, Our love for God also is demonstrated through our sacrifice, which is obedience to him and his word. 1 John 5.3, John says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And God's commands are only not burdensome if we understand what he has truly saved us from. 
Each time we refuse to obey God who knows us better than we know ourselves, knows every thought in our head, and loves us anyway, we are essentially saying that what he says does not really matter. Because like a teenager to a parent, what, what they're saying is, hey, I don't care if you have more experience. A lot of those teenagers just think their parents are out of touch, that they don't get it, that they don't know what's best for them, and yet God does know. He does. Like, he really does. And we get to demonstrate what we believe when we say, hey, I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to make more time for God. And I think too often I'm spending too much time on the things I want to do, and I'm not realizing how much I ought to want to pray and have communion with my God, but it is a way that we demonstrate our love for God by obeying him at his word. And so praying is worship, and it is also obedience. Constantly in the scriptures, we as followers of Jesus are being told and commanded and reminded to pray. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says this to the church in Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians. Have you read this first letter that Paul writes to them? They were killing it as followers of Jesus. Like, we should want to be like the church in Thessalonica. But Paul addresses this church and tells them to pray without ceasing. Here's what he says at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Are you kidding me? Before social media? Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned, from God, from, I, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. What a testimony of a com- to a community. Their example. Don't ever tell me Paul's not encouraging. Those are some of the most encouraging words I've ever heard said about a church and their perseverance in their suffering, their fixation on the gospel. And Paul tells them to pray without ceasing. And they and we get to do this, to be in constant dialogue and communion with God. So it is obedience to pray. But look at the Lord's example of this very thing. The night that Jesus was uh, betrayed, here is how Luke reveals what happened to Jesus and what he did. Luke 22, Jesus went 
out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and he went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So why do we pray? Because we can. And praying is part of our relationship with God. Why do we pray? Because it is devotion It is worship to our God. Why do we pray? Because it is obedience. It is application of God's word. And lastly, we pray because it is dependence upon God, hence the name of the series. It is faith being exercised. Many of us wait until things are hopeless or perhaps a last resort to pray. I know I've done this, so I assume I'm not alone. But you want to know what maturity is in prayer? How quick are you to pray when a situation arises that is truly out of your control? How quick are you to pray and praise God in gratitude when something happens that is good for you? It's not the words or even necessarily the frequency that makes our prayer life mature. It is our constant conversation with the God who wills that we exist, wills that we take our next breath, and wills that our lives would glorify him. Tim Keller put it this way, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. And Paul gives a wonderful example of why to pray in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and I I hope those of us who struggle with anxiousness. I'm one of them. I hope you hear this in a fresh new way. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. In every situation, pray. He begins with, don't be anxious about anything. Talk about a thing I do not obey most of the time. And yet Paul can say that we do not have to be anxious, not because we can just will this ourselves, but because we have an offense against anxiety that not only can truly help, but most of us are not in the habit of doing so like we should. So you're anxious? Go to the Lord. And he may or may not answer your prayer. He may or may not just take away your anxiety. But he in prayer is always reminding us that he is not far from any of us. The Apostle Peter, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then Jesus' own words recorded in Matthew 11 say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. (laughs) That's us. And I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anxiety is not the enemy, church. Satan is. But God in his grace gives us someone who may decide to take the anxiety away or not, but he will walk alongside us in the midst of it if we seek him with all of our heart. So I quoted Tim Keller, got to quote Charles Spurgeon, got to keep it, you know. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. The best praying man is the man who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him and saying to him, do as thou hast said. Prayer is the promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. Have you ever heard someone pray scripture back to God? I used to think it was kind of weird, right? Like, he knows. He wrote it. But it is just us reminding ourselves, really, as we speak to God of God's promises. And when we pray, we are testifying that we truly believe God at his word. And we believe his promises. And we believe what he says. Prayer is powerful. Not because you or your prayers are the source of that power, but because of who you're praying to. And if we as a church are going to be known for something, I feel like prayer is a very, very good thing to be known for. Not because we pray braggadocious prayers. Is that a real? That's not a real word. But because prayer is a symptom of our dependence upon God. You think you're dependent upon God? Are you praying You can answer that question for yourself. Now, I didn't exactly know how I wanted to close this sermon. I told you it was short, not just because I'm going on vacation, but because I want to give the teaching. I don't want to take all the passages the teaching team want to teach over the next few weeks, and I totally have already. But we're going to have multiple voices in the teaching team helping us understand how to pray, what is prayer, when and where to pray, etc., But I wanted to begin this series with pointing out the why behind the what, because our motivation when we pray really matters. But also what tends to happen when we talk about prayer is that we spend all our time analyzing prayer. We look at the Lord's Prayer and we're like, what word did he use and what did that mean? And we don't actually pray. And we don't actually pray to God, who we are attempting to exalt every single time we gather together. It's almost like we're talking about God like he isn't in this room. But he is. And he can hear us. And he wants us to engage with him in the gift, which is prayer. So I'm going to invite Malik up, and we're going to sing one song, and then I'm going to come back up here. But I... I want us as a community to realize that we can pray in relationship with God. And I know you'll hear more as we go through the series about the fact that a lot of times we don't know what to pray and the Spirit, according to Romans, prays for us and speaks to God on our behalf, but we still ought to engage with our God in prayer. And testimony time or really confession time, I don't pray like I should. I don't pray for you guys like I should. I don't pray for my family like I should. I don't pray for myself. I don't pray for the city like I should. 
And I get paid to do that. And so my guess is if I'm not doing that, maybe more of us in this room are struggling with it than we're honest about it. That we are struggling with actually talking to God, sometimes together. But a lot of times it's more about, are we actually spending time with God on our own individually? So I'm going to pray. Malik's going to sing, and then I'll come back up here and and we'll have a little bit more time in prayer. But God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you give us the gift of prayer. And I want to thank you for the prayers that have been answered in this room that we've already testified to and those who didn't really want to share, but definitely can testify to the reality that you answer prayers. But even more importantly than that, God, I want to praise you that you're not distant. You're not far from any of us. And as Paul testified to those in Greece, if we would seek you and reach out to you, we'd realize you're not far from any of us. So God, would we be a people that pray? Would we not only be motivated, but would we feel the conviction from your spirit to spend time talking with you? We thank you, God, that we get to. We thank you that we can. We thank you that it is an opportunity to worship you and depend on you and to obey you. May you get glory and praise as we sing the song. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.